Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, pastor of community and discipleship at Northeast Presbyterian Church in lovely Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined by the far lovelier, Betsy Desch. Hey, rocking everybody. a puffy pink vest today. Yes. You wear it well, Betsy. Thank you. Good topic today. Our growing loneliness epidemic in the role of the church. Some people might think this is a bit of an exaggeration, but there are people out there saying that loneliness, the increase of loneliness, the effects of loneliness is an epidemic, actually constitutes an epidemic. Now, now clearly we are living in a moment where we are experiencing true public health crisis right now, which is the opioid crisis. There's no doubt that that um, is a huge crisis. It's taking a ton of life. Uh, but as we dig into this topic of loneliness, whether it qualifies as an epidemic or not, this is a real issue in our society, and we believe here that the church has a role to play in this crisis or this growing trend that's very important. So first of all, let's just dig into some statistics on loneliness and the effects that it has on people. First of all, it, this got on a lot of people's radar when, at the beginning of this year, Britain appointed a minister of loneliness. So if you are a citizen of the UK, you now have a minister of loneliness to help people deal with the effects of loneliness. The UK is basically treating this like a public health crisis. And the New York Times ran an article with the title, Is Loneliness a Public Health Epidemic? And let me quote from this, because this is pretty significant, startling stuff. Rigorous epidemiological, I think I got that out right, <laughs> studies think you got it. have linked loneliness and social isolation to heart disease, cancer, depression, diabetes, and suicide. Vivek Murphy, the former United States Surgeon General, has written that loneliness and social, social isolation are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. It's big stuff. So this, is, this is serious, folks. There's also a link to Alzheimer's, dementia, other cognitive decline diseases. So the effects of loneliness... These are significant. Right. And perhaps the reason that we often don't call it a public health crisis or we don't think about it that way is because often what is the the cause of mortality, the cause of death, it's not loneliness itself, but it's something associated with loneliness. Mm -hmm. So it's suicide. It, it is... Uh, it's just not it's not living as long as people who are who are married and are happy. And so the, a lot of this, again, it's not something that you can directly attribute. It doesn't say on the death certificate, cause of death, loneliness, but loneliness is really contributing. Yeah, it highlights that we are people who are body and soul, that, you know, our emotional state plays into our physical health. It's not like you can uh, separate the two always. That's right. So you can't separate them. God's made us body and soul. So first of all, let's let's, let's go ahead and just give a definition of loneliness, because I think a lot of people might say, okay, we all feel lonely at one point or another. Uh, how do you even define this medically? Here's some different definitions that I've heard. Loneliness is a subjective negative feeling related to deficient social relationships. 
Probably the, the best definition that I found was simply a feeling of disconnectedness or isolation. And it's important here to say that a lot that really what we're talking about is this subjective experience, this feeling of being disconnected or being in isolation. Being by yourself does not mean you're lonely. Right. And a lot of people are just introverts. That's they, right. They recharge by being alone, by spending time, you know, quietly. And that's great. That's not what we're talking about. That's right. So nothing wrong with being an introvert. And nothing wrong as well. We'll do we'll do an episode on solitude at some point. But solitude is a great thing. It's mm-hmm. an important thing. That's right. You know, the the flip side of the coin, of course, is people who who never have time to reflect on their own life. And there's this great study out there. You can Google it, where researchers have asked people. They've said, "Okay, we're going to give you a choice in this experiment. You can either spend 15 minutes quietly reflecting on your own life." And where you're only with your own thoughts, or you can be experience a small electric shock. <laughs> Some scary amount of people would rather be shocked. Yes, I read that. Than quietly sit with, and I think one guy got shocked like 600 times. I mean, it's like, really, buddy, what's going on? <laughs> I, I mean, you can't sit quietly for Is 15 minutes. Is your head minutes. that scary? Yep. So we we know the other side of it. We're not saying that solitude is bad. And we're also not saying that loneliness and isolation are the same things. It's much more about a feeling of being disconnected, of not having the relationships that you want to have. And what all the the data is showing is that this is an increasing thing in our society, that more and more people are missing these relationships, are wishing they had better relationships, and are feeling lonely, and because of it, are experiencing a lot of negative health effects. I think it, if we start digging into why is that going on, a few things come to mind. Um, the biggest probably is technology. You know, mm-hmm. more more and more things are being done by machines for us. There is uh, less and less human interaction. Think about it. Amazon now is making these grocery stores, I think. I've heard this where they don't even have um, Yeah, well, they bought Whole cash. Foods. Yes, for one. But they they want. To, I've heard that they want to pilot these stores that don't even have cashiers. There's just wow. um, a system of cameras, and I'm not sure what mm-hmm. all it is. But somehow, whatever you put into your basket is just charged to your Amazon account. Oh, that's right. And so you can just walk right out of right. the store. You, you don't just even walk have to. Out yep. and, Time and, saver. And it goes on to yep. um, your credit card automatically. So right there, all of a sudden, you're not having the interaction with someone who helps you um, pay your bill. Or you can think about so many tasks that technology has replaced. Even with an iPhone, there are so many things that a phone does now for you that don't have to, to be go done to the, by people. When's the last time you went to a bank, for right. example? Yes. Talk to someone who works at a bank. We don't have to do that anymore. No. And and you can think of so many more examples just like that. Um, yeah. And can I just pause here and take a moment, Betsy, and, and, and ask this question? Do you want, you know, one of the reasons I love Trader Joe's? What's that? I'll tell you. No self-checkout. Yes. At Trader Joe's, you're going to have a friendly face. And they know your you. name. Oh, yeah. We know a lot of people at Trader Joe's. We do. We have yep. a lot of friends there. We and love I you, think Trader that, Joe's. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people like Trader Joe's. It's such a pleasant shopping experience. Yep. yep. And we, they treat you like family. It's a community. It is. It's a community. Yep. That's a different episode. Why we love Trader Joe's. Yeah. We'll do that next. Uh, so I also was thinking, 
our culture has changed a lot in that I think we've developed a wariness of other people. Mm. You know, you can see I how, like, in, in our generation of parenting, Josh, there's so many more helicopter parents. Yep. We've gotten paranoid about other people. You say, yep. well, maybe that person on the street is a pedophile. Yep. You know, kidnapper. Um, a kidnapper. Yep. Yeah. So I think that makes you less likely to go and develop relationships with people because you're wary of them. And a lot of parents... You're between a rock and a hard place because I've heard many parents say, yeah, I can't allow my nine-year-old to go ride his bike into a different neighborhood because I just don't feel comfortable with that. Right. But 50 years ago, that would have been fine. And, and, and what do you say? I mean, no, you, your, your fears are totally you know, unjustified or do you say – I mean, it's, it's difficult because right. a lot of things have changed in our culture. That's right. We do, we do want to be protective. Uh, we, we are aware probably of more stuff than we used to be, but you're right. We are weary of people. And that's just the way it is now at, at this point. Um, and then also another thing came to mind. Look at like Let's look at how single people meet each other anymore. It's mm. on a screen in dating apps. You know, it's not I'm, – I'm, I'm sure that's not true for everyone, but if you look broadly across our culture, you've got Tinder, you've got um, – you know, match.com, all these different sites, and you're seeing someone on a screen, and that's your initial interaction rather than swipe. seeing someone face to face. Yeah, swipe. swipe right, swipe, swipe. left. Yep. Um, so, yeah, those are some yep. things. Aren't that come you to so mind. glad that we avoided the whole swipe thing? We uh, dated before the age <laughs> yep. of just, dating apps, and I'm very grateful I just for think that. <laughs> I'd be getting a lot of swipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just being totally honest. You just need one. You that's just, all you need. Hey, man, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, here's a few other interesting cultural trends. In the 1920s, about 5% of Americans lived alone. By the 1960s, that had increased to 13%. And as of 2013, 27% of all Americans now live alone. So just in terms of the percentage of our population, living by yourself, having your own space, has dramatically increased in this country. Some of that is a sign of upward mobility, of greater wealth, of greater resources. So it's not all bad, and we're not going to sit here and say nobody should ever live alone. But hey, it's just something to recognize. Divorce has obviously gone way up in the mm -hmm. last, particularly the last 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of households now that are you know, broken up between mom over here, dad over here, sharing kids, living alone. Um, I actually read a funny, uh, listened to a funny podcast where they talked about one of the reasons that mattress sales have gone up since the 70s is because when two people get divorced, only one person gets the mattress. True. So you got to buy it. You got to buy another mattress. Yeah, that's down to the and, nitty gritty. Um, silly, but also, you know, um, makes you think, wow, we are living in a more isolated culture now than we have in the past. Hmm. So, bets. Here's what we want to spend the rest of our time with. What role does the church have to, pl to play in this growing loneliness epidemic, this increasing reality of acute loneliness, isolation, feelings of depression for so many people in our society? And, and here's what I want to say. The church, I mean, excuse me, the government can't provide relationships for us. It's it's not the job of the government. And our relationships on social media are going to be limited. Mm -hmm. Let me add this in. Let me add an apologetic angle. A lot of people these days would say, you know, I'm not going to be a Christian because what you guys believe, it's so silly. It's anti-science. The Bible's a human book, you know, written by humans full of errors. 
And we have a lot of good answers, good apologetic answers that we can give to those questions. But I'm wondering if more and more the way we need to do our apologetics is to say, instead of saying, I'm going to convince you right now that Jesus really rose from the dead in a bodily form, that he has a body, that he was truly resurrected, instead of to say, want to come to church with me? I think you would find some people that you would really enjoy connecting with. Mm -hmm. Come taste the community that we have at our church. And it maybe it's downstream that you get into the apologetic arguments, what Tim mm-hmm. Keller calls the defeaters of why people are resistant to believe the Christian faith. But why don't we lead more with our community hmm. and what we've got in the church? Because we hope that in the church, we've got the best community around. Right. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, people just want to feel like they belong and like they're known yeah. somewhere. And I think that's a God-given desire because he made us to be social people. Mm-hmm. You know, he said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, and mm-hmm. he created Eve. So um, we're made to be social and to have those relationships that reflect, you know, God God's relationships in the Trinity. I would say a word for those of us who do feel like we're blessed in relationships, the constant challenge is just to keep pushing outward, mm-hmm. you know, to develop relationships with people who are on the fringes and try to envelop them in and bring them in so they feel like they have the resources to go and talk to other people who are lonely. It's always easier to just talk to your friends, right? Always easier. To come, uh, if we're talking about church, come Sunday morning, see your good friends and and go talk to them instead of pursuing someone who looks like they don't have the good friends. But that's really what our heart needs to be in the Christian community is to always be looking for the people who look like they're on the fringes and try to wrap them in and bring them in. Exactly. And so what we're saying is if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, well, I'm not lonely and my spouse is not lonely and I don't think my kids are lonely, so I'm not sure how applicable this is to me. We're saying, no, this is still really applicable to you because there are lonely people around you. And I think one of the biggest struggles that we have is just noticing. Mm -hmm. That's Um, right. You know, the person that is depressed the person that is struggling, the person that is socially awkward, in many ways that you, you, you don't even notice that person. That's right. Well, I just want to hear, I just want to give a shout out to my mom, Farrell Haleska. Um, Love you, Farrell. <laughs> growing up with, with my mom, she was the person, seriously, she'd be the last person out of church. We'd all be rolling our eyes and be like, Mom! Come on! Let's go! Now my kids do that to me, by the way. But my mom was, and continues to be artful in talking to people that she does not no, at all. She just has the art of starting a conversation out of absolutely nothing. And I watched her growing up, you know, she would figure out something that maybe you have in common with someone or figure out a way to ask a question that will lead into a conversation. I think seeing that example my whole life was very formative for me. And so, you know, I just encourage all of us to grow in that art of starting a conversation with someone random, you know. The way I like to think about it is, like like I said, thinking of something that you have in common, like maybe those uh, a person has kids your children's age or they have a dog or you know they go to the gym with you or whatever there some a lot of times you can find that conversation starter yep. to kind of get things off the ground and that's not always easy sometimes it's uncomfortable yeah. but i think that's uh doing gospel work to try to reach out to those who need that need someone to come alongside them yeah i like how you phrase that too there's a book out there called the art of the deal Betsy, maybe you should write the art of the conversation. Well, like that would be an honor. I don't know if I'm qualified for that, but <laughs> probably be more important than the other one. Uh, 
I yes, that's exactly what we're saying, and you just said it really well. And let me just mention a story, and then a few suggestions. We'll wrap up here. The story is: I have a f- a friend that I've known for over two decades. When I met this guy, he was a professing Christian. He is no longer a professing Christian; doesn't believe it. But he did say to me the last time I saw him, Josh, I don't believe in Christianity, but I do think the church is one of the last places where I see real community happening. And and that should speak to us, and that should bolster us, and that should move us to say, we are called to model community to where non-believers and skeptics, and, and those in this, as we're talking in the context today, those who are lonely feel like, I want to I be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And not just I want to be a part of that, but I'm included in that. I don't, I don't have to meet some bar, I don't have to pass some test, I don't have to have some skill, right. but I am welcome in the church. So just very quickly, some people I can think of that you could reach out to, new neighbors, mm. for females, you know, a woman who's just had a baby, maybe, you know, postpartum depression is a, is a common thing. That's right. Uh, Bets, who are, who are some others that you might think about, people that we could reach out to who need community? Well, I, you know, parents at your kids' schools or... Um you really can can find people who are hurting if you're just willing to take the time to look mm-hmm. around. I, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing. It's so easy for us all, me included, to just go about the daily routine. And but it really it doesn't take a whole lot to to bless and encourage somebody. Um, you know, not to be trite, but sometimes it's just a genuine smile. It's saying thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, not always yep. being in a hurry, but willing to be inconvenienced. Yep. Sometimes some really cool stuff happens when you're willing to just stop yep. and talk with somebody. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just noticing people, That's right. noticing people in, in jobs that we might consider less than desirable jobs in this right. sort of thing, right? It's right. just noticing the marginalized. Jesus did it better, better than anybody else. That's right. So, church, we're called to step up in this area. I hope that we will. And now, Betsy, want to ask you, what have you been reading recently? Well, um, pretty exciting, guys. I just got a Kindle. I, I realize Woo-hoo. I'm pretty behind the curve here. Everyone else has had a Kindle for a long time. <laughs> um, and I, I have to say, I still do prefer the, a print book. But a Kindle mm-hmm. is very convenient. You're no longer carrying your bag that's like ripping your shoulder off because you have 10 books in there. Nope. So um, I just started a book called The Looming Tower, Al-Qaeda and the Road to 9-11. It's by Lawrence Wright. He's a staff writer for The New Yorker. This came out in 2006, so, you know, it's not a new book. But um, I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm really pumped about it. So that's my that's my um, my evening. Yeah, and isn't it kind of the uh, the standard setter for, for 9-11 background information? Yeah, uh, like yeah. this guy's the real deal in terms of a journalist. And um, I think it's kind of about what the FBI and the CIA knew before 9-11 happened. Yeah. Defining event of our generation. I'll never forget where I was exactly when that happened. I know the same for you. Yep. Yeah. All right. Sounds like a good book. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. As always, email us intersect at anyprez.com. Hope you'll join us next time and thank you for listening.